I don't get paid enough. How many people think that? I know I did, and for some people, that may be true, but the reality is, is that most of the time, our financial situation is self-inflicted. I'm super excited to bring on David, someone that has been I've been following for as long as I've had my Instagram, so you are all in for a real treat. Hi everyone, welcome back to Crushing It in Real Estate. My name is Joanne, and today I have on David, who is an active duty Marine who helps people increase their savings gap, purchase real estate, and increase their chance for financial freedom via his platform, From Military to Millionaire. Hi, David. Hey, thanks for having me today. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, of course. You want to... I like the intro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're... It's, so impressive what you've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. So the intro is well warranted. Did you want to, in your own words, let the listeners know how you got started in real estate? Yeah. Long story short, um, in 2015, a buddy of mine handed me the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, which is kind of how a lot of people get started. Uh, I had kind of thought about investing. In fact, I'd, I'd looked for an agent at one point to try to find myself a property when I moved to Southwest Missouri. And I, I just kind of talked myself out of it because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I was busy at work and I was like, ah, this is a lengthy process, you know, um, made a lot of mistakes there. I should have, I mean, even if I didn't know what I was doing, I two years of something would have been better than an apartment, but yeah. And then, so I read his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then I started doing some research, found bigger pockets, stumbled across that, read some more articles. And I think within three months of re reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the stars just kind of aligned. I had to move, my lease was up on my apartment. Um, you know, my, my Harley got totaled. So I had some cash and a couple other things just kind of happened at the same time. And so I used a FHA loan and did a house hack with a duplex, bought it, lived in one half, rented the other half, and I didn't really look back. Awesome. So with that first deal, were you actually able to cash flow, live for free, or what did that look like with your FHA? So I was, let's see, I think the mortgage at the time was like 615. It's actually dropped to like 585 because taxes have gone down a little bit, which is awesome. Uh, and my first tenant was like 475. So I was out of pocket under 150 bucks. But then they're now up high, up to five twenty five, and then five twenty five on the other side. So I cash flow about three hundred bucks a month right now, three four hundred bucks a month, and yeah. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily living for free, but I went from paying five fifty a month for a two bed one bath apartment to paying like one hundred and fifty bucks a month plus utilities to live and own, you know, but live in one half of my duplex. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What a great deal. And you did mention already, you know, some things that you wish you had have done differently, which was maybe start two years earlier. But is there anything else that you would maybe do differently now that you've gone through it? I would have gone with a fourplex. I, uh, my, the market in Missouri is so cheap that I really couldn't have lost if I had just bought a, you know, even a decent deal as a four unit, you know, it would have been a bigger property. It would have had more tenants. It probably would have cash flowed a little bit more. Principal pay down would have been a little bit larger. And, and I just kind of talked myself out of it because the duplex seemed less scary and I didn't really know what I was doing. So it was a good move. But going back, I probably would have tried to find a four unit rather than a two unit um, just to maximize on the purchasing power and the house hack. 
All right, and just the more number of units you have, the more tenants you have, you know, if one person stops paying, you still have three, right? Versus yeah. if you're one and your duplex stops, then it's only you. Yeah, absolutely. And you also mentioned too, like, it probably you were scared and you talked yourself out of it, but what were some other factors that you think prevented you at the time from going for that four versus the two? Probably just that, I didn't look at many of them. I mean, I think if I'd looked at them and run the numbers, it would have been, I would have been able to talk myself into it without any issues. But I had the idea of a duplex house hack. I looked at a few duplexes and I was like, oh, this one works. And, and I went for it. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily that I talked myself out of fourplexes, it's that I just didn't even think like big enough to think about doing a fourplex. And yeah, I mean, it was a good deal, you know, but it, it was a base hit. It wasn't anything massive. Right. Yeah. I think what you talked about was really key is like you at the time didn't think big enough. Right. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're not dreaming big enough and that there's so much out there that anything you really want could be yours if you just like put yourself into that place where you think it's possible. Yeah. How now do you think like people uh, how do you think you shifted your mindset to be able to see the bigger picture and the possibilities for all our listeners out there who, you know, might be just getting started, who can't see what the possibilities are for themselves yet? I don't know if it was so much of doing anything to change my mentality. I think it was just seeing proof of concept. And I've always been kind of a jump out of a plane and build the parachute on your way down guy. Um, I think as soon as I saw proof of concept, I was like, man, this can this can really work. Um, and I think over time, I've just slowly scaled that vision. So it went from, you know, okay, well, I want to have a few rentals to cover a couple expenses to, all right, well, now I want to have, you know, $5,000 a month in cash flow to, um, you know, building a community ultimately and be like, well, now I just want to help, you know, a lot of other people achieve this, that, or the other. And I, I think it's just kind of as you grow, you realize like, okay, well, that's achievable, which is great but it's no longer fun or challenging. So what's the next thing that doesn't feel achievable to pursue and, and go after? So it sounds like you kind of just scaled your goals along with your growth. It's not like you reach for something huge or, you know, really unattainable. But, yeah, um, there's some, there's some lofty goals out there for sure, but it's not like I bought a duplex and then decided I was going to build Trump tower. Right? <laughs> I, there's, there's a scale to it for sure. So what are some of your goals now, you know, that you've achieved so much, like you've helped so many people, you have a platform, you have, you know, real estate, you've become a millionaire through real estate investing. What are your goals look like now? Well, the full, I guess the next goal is just to prove to myself. So I plan on going reserves next year. And so the next goal is to, a, a full proof of concept, be able to go back to Missouri without having to take a job and to be able to, you know, I mean, my wife still wants to work, but to be able to buy an office building, work out of the office building or studio and go all in without having to go collect a paycheck from someone else. So to be able to live off the business and the investments, um, I think that's probably the next goal is just because that's a check in the box. Like, okay, now that this has happened, Every and I've like proven that that actually worked. Like I think I'm there, but it's a whole different ballgame to actually like live that life for a few months than it is to 
think you're there, but still have an income stream from the government. Um, so I want to prove that concept and I want to be, you know, there and that will open up the door to a lot of other stuff. So some of the stuff is, uh, hosting a big conference for military veteran, uh, real estate investors speaking. I'd like to get my book that I'm writing into like the PX. So it's sold on base and ultimately just get out there to help more and more service members, veterans. I mean, and ultimately I always talk service members and veterans, the information will help anybody. Uh, it's just, you know, there's a couple things like VA loan and some of those uh, benefits that are military specific. I just relate better to service members and veterans because I'm kind of a jerk. So <laughs> I have a certain sense of humor that is much more appreciated or appreciative, appreciated. Yeah, whatever. Appreciated. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I don't know. I'm off this morning. Don't judge me. Uh, um, you know, but it's appreciated a little bit more by, by vets than it is by someone who just graduated college. And it's like, why is this guy so mean about everything? <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> care about my real. feelings. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Authentic. Doesn't care about feelings, but gets you results. So, <laughs> yep. And the, but that's super exciting for you. Something to look forward to. You know, it sounds like you're kind of quitting your day job in a sense and going to just be living off of that passive income and, you know, thinking about building a conference and having people together when we can. That's, that's really yeah. exciting. And I'm looking forward to that for you. Yeah. Um, I do. We have some uh, VA listeners, you know, so I think it's great that you have that background and you do in a sense like target that kind of demographic. What makes it different? I know there's so many benefits with like a VA loan, right? Um, especially now, any words um, I think to encourage people to take advantage of that if they aren't already. And I think my, my advice, I mean, okay. So I'll always be cautious with your investments always buy as a property as an investment not as a long-term home right like if it's gonna be forever home that's great but you should always purchase as an investment whatever you buy should work as an investment once you move out because whether it's gonna be your forever home or not now you, you don't know so that's how you kind of avoid the downside of over leveraging a property that's very expensive so there's that right and then right now obviously if especially if you're in like a duplex triplex or something where there's tenants involved you want to make sure you're budgeting a little bit more conservatively uh, especially for vacancy because who knows right now is kind of a crazy time in the world but I think as long as you have cash some cash on hand and you're conservative about that I think taking out a large VA loan right now is a huge wealth accelerator especially if you can even just break even with people helping you pay the rent. And the reason for that is, I mean, if your finances are in check, you can lock in 2.75% interest rate all day right now. Maybe not all day, but I mean, 2.5 to 3.3 and a quarter. Even if you lock in three and, a, three and a quarter, which people kind of scoff at right now, that's way better. I mean, at least a half percentage point better than it's been ever. Uh, and so when you think about that, like that's incredible to be able to take out, you know, a half a million dollar loan for under 3% or at 3% interest is insane, especially because people are paying down your principal and everything. But the reality is that there's, there's a decent chance and I don't want to get too crazy into all this, but there's a decent chance or at least a fear that there will be some excessive inflation over the next few years because of everything that went on. 
So if you take out a half a million dollar loan and you pay 3% interest and all of a sudden the world inflates, we'll say 4%, well, you've essentially wiped out a solid chunk of your interest for that year. And so as if the market, if it inflates like 10%, you've basically wiped out three years worth of interest because yeah, you're paying 3% interest, but you're paying 3% interest on money that has your property's gone up in value to account for the inflation. And so it, I don't want to get super, super, super complex into that, but to say that if you can buy a decent investment and you can hold and you plan on holding forever with how cheap interest is right now, you're basically paying yourself break even for inflation while the property is getting value. And so it's, it's pretty powerful to see that that's a possibility. Yeah, it's definitely crazy right now. You know, interest rates are super low and um, didn't they waive the, there was something on the VA loan, I think like a cap or something like that. They, yeah. They waived, so, so at the beginning of this year, the VA loan uh, cap got waived for first usage. Now the old limits are still in place for subsequent uses of the VA loan, but for your initial one, the, uh, the cap got removed, which is awesome. Um, now there are still going to be limiting factors. Banks are still going to want to, you know, they're still going to require you to meet certain debt to income and certain credit scores, even though ironically, and people don't know this, the VA loan doesn't have a credit score requirement. You could have a oh, wow. 40, you could have a 400 and the department of veteran affairs wouldn't care, but no bank is going to lend you that money. Um, but because there's no overlays from the VA, the you can shop banks and you never know. You might find someone who will go lower on credit score. You'll pay for it, but you might be able to buy a house. So anyway, all that to say, yeah, I mean, I there is a sergeant, a single E5 Marine Corps out here who just bought a one and a quarter million dollar fourplex in San Diego and he did it with zero down. In fact, he got money back from the sale. And yeah, so it's definitely possible. Uh, you just got to make sure you're you're smart with your numbers and your finances when you get up into those numbers. But yeah. No, that's crazy. So, you know, given everything that's happening, are you still buying? I know you said that next year you kind of want to test out your proof of concept, whether you can just live off of the cash flow of your current portfolio. Do you think you need to add to that? What does your portfolio look like? And yeah, I, I definitely need to add to it. Not because I need to add to it so much as because I, it's fun. Um, and it goes back to that like challenging stuff to keep you moving forward in life. Uh, I bought a duplex in May. That was my last purchase. And then I was a general partner on 146 unit syndication in March. So partnered on a big apartment complex. Um, I, ironically, about two hours from now, I was supposed to go look at a fourplex here in San Diego for 730000 that I was looking at buying. Uh, but it's been on the market for two days and it must have been a good deal because it's already under contract. Wow. So I got that text right before we jumped on this. So I hadn't planned on buying out here, but I'm still looking for potential opportunities in regard to if I find something out here that makes sense, just like what we were talking about, right? In the San Diego market, there is potential for a decent amount of appreciation. And if you couple that with insane rates, it, it can be a long-term wealth play. As long as you're okay with knowing that you may not necessarily cash flow or, or at all, um, there's definitely some, some potential there for future growth. Yeah, that's amazing. I know. So you're looking in San Diego and you have properties in Missouri. Are you 
still buying in Missouri or where are you targeting now? Yeah, Missouri is where all my solo rentals are. I have 15 doors there right now and I plan to keep buying there. That's my main market. Uh, I just happen to live in San Diego right now and I got about another year, year and a half here and so I can use the VA loan if I find the right deal. And so to, you know, to be able to get into a million dollar home with, with no money out of pocket and if it cash flows, like that's a, that's a home run. So yeah, that's crazy that there's deals like that even in San Diego. Well, so it's, it's an interesting time in the market because like you said, the VA loan cap just got lifted. So there's a lot of people who couldn't afford to buy properties in the million dollar range here that can now. And so it's just kind of an interesting, who knows? Have you seen more competition then? Yeah, prices are definitely not going down at all. This has been a very right. interesting year for sure for San Diego, but you know, we'll see what the future holds. Just, I'm, you- I'm not necessarily looking here. I'm just keeping my eyes open. And if I see something that has a lot of potential, then like that fourplex that I probably should have just written an offer on yesterday because I knew the numbers were good, but. For what are you looking for? I mean, keeping an eye out for, are you going by like the 1% rule? I know it's like hard to find that. Oh, that that. doesn't work out here. Yeah, exactly. Not even close. Mm -hmm. No, out here I'm looking for something where I can live basically free while I live there, which means that I just get to keep my housing allowance. Um, And then if I can, you know, if I can net a thousand dollars a month when I move out, uh, you know, before, and that's, and that's not counting for repairs and maintenance, like out here, that's just off the mortgage and the principal interest taxes insurance. If you can be about a thousand dollars above that, then you can just budget that for the repairs and maintenance. And then theoretically you'll be okay. As long as you're under, you understand that you may very well end up being cash flow even or cash flow negative, but you know, on a $730,000 property, you're paying off $24,000 of the loan every year or close to uh, probably about twenty, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of the loan every year. Depending, I mean, if you do a thirty year, you're paying off closer to eighteen. If you do a fifteen year, you're paying off like thirty six thousand. So you can pay a ton of the principal down, and then you might be break even on cash flow, but you're paying off. You're adding, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars to your net worth through principal pay down. And oh, by the way, you know, the market out here is some of the highest appreciation in the nation. So assuming that stays going as historically it does, you know, you're looking at three, four, I mean, honestly, it's like 6% historically in some areas, but if you get 3% inflation, you know, or not inflation appreciation, if you get 1% appreciation out here, that's seven grand, right? So if you get a 3% appreciation rate and you're paying off $20,000 a year, that's $40,000, $45,000 a year added your net worth just on property value and principal pay down. So it's not really a break even like it's not really a cash flow game. It's more of a long-term wealth game, um, which is why I really haven't been like looking, looking, because that's not necessarily my style. I'm more of a cash flow guy, but I'm also kind of a, hey, I've got a year left here and I'm paying rent. So if I find the right deal, then I might as well might go as well. for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think what's really key that you said is like, you know, it's not so much um, cash flow here in your market in San Diego or in California, like the Bay where I am, but more appreciation, but that works for you, right? Like you find deals that still work for you. I think a lot of people who get started get stuck, right? They hear this like rule of thumb, 1% rule, and then they only look for things that fit the 1% rule, which I mean, yeah, it's safer, but I think if you understand what your goals are, 
then you might be able to find deals that work with your goals and your risk tolerance, right? Yep, absolutely, right? And and again, you know, I have cash flow from other properties, so it, it's kind of one of those where I look at it as, look, even if this one was negative $500 a month, that eats into my cash flow from my other deals. Yeah, that's a bummer. But between the other benefits, I can I can float it and still be net worth positive every year over what I would have been without that property. So um, I don't know that I would always recommend it as a first deal or as a strategy, but there's, it's a different kind of play and it can definitely work. For sure. You know, you have done so many different types of deals, right? Like single family, a duplex, 10 plex, syndication into large multifamily. Which do you prefer? So far, my favorite deal is my 10 unit. I, I mean, I will say the multifamily, um, that was a fun experience and I enjoyed that. But the 10 unit, I mean, I think part of that is just because I got, like I got seller financing for 10% of it. So it was like 10% seller financing, 85% bank financing. I paid like 5% some change. And so 18 months after I bought it, I refied and I paid off the seller financing and, you know, had enough equity in it or whatever. Um, and so I have, I went from putting less than $11,000 down on that property to 60 or $70,000 in equity and no money left in the deal. And it still cash flows, you know, at the same, so at the same time, because I got rid of the seller financing, I was able to drop the monthly payment by like 300 bucks a month. And so I'm cash flowing like somewhere around $1,200 a month, which is, you know, not insane on a single property, but no money in the deal. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. great. Yeah. So that one's been fun. So you are a proponent for creative financing. Yeah. I actually, uh, I wrote, I made an, an email offer on Craigslist uh, just Friday about a potential seller financing deal and I wasn't fast enough. So I am all for if you can negotiate terms creatively with somebody and not have a bank involved because I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is just that it's continually negotiable. And so if you're smart, um, and I don't say this to say like you can take advantage of people, that's not the way to do it. But like, for example, the 10 unit, it was a 10 year loan and I paid it off in 18 months. But when we went to do the refi and close, the guy just wanted the remaining balance back. And so I was paying 4% for 10 years or for five years, sorry, it was five years, not 10, uh, for 4% for five years, but I only paid a year and a half of it. So the other three and a half years worth of that loan, if there were prepayment penalties or he wanted all the interest, anyway, all that to say, I ultimately paid like one and a half percent interest on the money I borrowed. And so you really can't beat the fact that, and, and so there's cool things you can do with creative financing too. Like if you, you know, you could shoot him, he never took me up on this, but I could, I would you know, if you have a seller financing option, you could hit someone up and say, Hey, you know, if you would like, I can pay you for the entire year's payments up front. I'll pay you 10 months or 11 months right now. So if you discount a month or two to me, you get all your cash up front. So if you have a thousand dollars a month, that you owe this guy, you'd be like, Hey, I'm totally fine paying you your thousand dollars, but I'll give you, I'll give you 10,500 right now, January 1st if you just let it ride for the whole year. And a lot of people would say, okay. And that's kind of a win-win because 
for them, like having $10,500 might have a much higher value for them right now than having to wait for $1,000 a month for the entire year. But you also just saved $1,500 on your mortgage, which means you just added $1,500 to your bottom or took away $1,500 from your bottom line. And yeah, so there's some really cool things you can do with seller financing that like good luck calling a bank and saying, yo, hey, Bank of America, um, I had this thought, like, can I just pay you less this year, but I'll give it to you up front? Like, not gonna work, so. Yeah, that's so cool what you're able to do with creative financing. And, you know, they call it creative because you really can do anything that both parties agree to, right? Yeah, which is insane. Like you said, no bank would ever take an offer like that. But if you're working with the seller, they might because, it is a win-win for them, you know, so yeah. bring value to both parties in that way, which is really cool. Do you have um, other creative financing um, that you've done yourself or considered doing that you'd like to share? Well, I haven't, I haven't sold anything that way yet. I haven't really sold much of anything. Um, I had a 40 unit that I did a lease option on. So I purchased through a lease option. We ended up not executing the option. So we, you know, we're, we're working through that right now, but we had, we had done that without a bank where it was, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to buy an option to purchase this property. We're going to operate the property. And if we like it five years down the road, we'll road, we'll get bank financing and take over the deal. And if we don't like it, then Hey, no strings attached. We're good. Thanks. And so we did that and we, we ended up not closing that deal out. And then uh, I've paid cash for one little tiny, like $12,000 house that I flipped. And then uh, that's probably about it for now. I've looked at some other stuff. I I definitely just like straight seller financing, but it's it's hit or miss for finding people who are willing to seller finance to you. That seems to be a lot of times like retiring landlords is a good, good role for that. Or, or if you're looking at, more like commercial type stuff, like buying a business or whatever, but yeah. All right. Cause they still want like that monthly cash flows. Great for yeah. them. There's something you talk about like cattle financing. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, um, basically I joke about that all the time, but essentially what cattle financing was or is, I still use it. Um, we, if you visualize this, we owned, uh, like a five acre tract with a house on it. And there was a five acre tract above it. And then a five acre tract with a house on it above it. And so the guy who owned the house above us owned both five acre tracks. And so we told him forever, like, Hey, if you ever move, I want the five acres in the middle. I want to grow my little parcel to a 10 acre parcel for myself and my kids and whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'm never moving. And then lo and behold, his job was like, Hey, we're going to move you. And so he calls me and he tells me he's selling it. The owner's you know, we're willing to, or the buyers were interested in buying all 10 acres. And I was like, oh man. So I overpaid. I gave him like an extra thousand, fifteen hundred an acre, but I really wanted that five acres because, you know, it just the ability to not have neighbors right up against your fence. I mean, they're still right up against my fence, but there's five acres between my house and theirs. And I own the five, five acre spread. So more rent, more land, more freedom, you know, all those personal reasons. None of those reasons are an investment. There was no plan to make money off that extra five acres. There was no, so it was more of a like, man, I can't justify this as an investment. This is going to cost me $350 a month. Like how, how do I make this into an investment? Like there's got to be some way that I can say, Hey, like 
you know, this land is paying for itself. And the answer was, well, my father-in-law owns cattle and we had like four cows. So if we just grew our herd to 10 cows, which you can fit on 10 acres, then the payments from selling the cows would be around enough to pay for the the mortgage for the extra five acres. And uh, in essence, we've done that for two and a half, three years now. And yeah, it's it's been a little bit over break even. So if anything, we might have cash flowed a tiny bit. Um, but what it did is it just allowed us to justify buying this five acre tract for 40 grand that we wouldn't have been able to buy or, or wouldn't have been, wasn't going to be an asset. It was, an, it was a want, it was a liability and we found a way to turn it into maybe not necessarily a huge asset, but at least a break even net zero that, you know, will makes life better. So Nice. Yeah. I think even like in the rich dad, poor dad book, they kind of talk about the things you want to buy, right? Find a way to buy it using cash flow. And that's what you did here with your cattle financing. So exactly right. Found a way. Yes. Found a way. I have a question for, you know, you have this niche with military and a lot of people in the military move around a lot, right? Um, You know, they get stationed in different places and they're not really sure how long they're going to be there. They have an idea, but sometimes they get called away to other places too. So out of state investing is kind of like what they have to do anyways, right? Because even though they're stationed in one place and they buy a a property in this location, they might end up somewhere else and it will be an out of state property. So how do you help people get over that kind of fear of investing in a different location? That's a good question. I, I don't know that there's really anything specific so much as just talking about it, you know, and answering questions for people. Cause ultimately the only difference is that you're not there. And yeah, there's some downsides. I mean, I lost money on a flip and it was because I didn't manage the deal well enough. And I, I very well, but it was me, right? Like if I had managed the deal that poorly while I lived there, I would have had the exact same situation arise. And so the, the key is to just have a really good team in place. Had I done what I should have done, which is have my property manager managing that deal for me, um, which I do now, uh, everything would have gone totally different and they are awesome. They would have been able to take care of it. So having, you know, your, your team and your property manager, your realtor, contractor, lender, CPA, attorney, whoever, whoever that team might be, um, if you have a solid team, you're going to be okay. So I think it's a blessing that we move around because it forces people to look at different markets. So they'll figure out, like, I would never have even thought about buying a million dollar fourplex when I lived in Missouri. You'd be like, you're out of your damn mind. Um, and so living in Hawaii, living here, like the sticker shock's gone. And so I understand more the appreciation style of investing as well as the cash flow style. And, you know, it's allowed me to become a much better investor, a much more rounded uh, investor. And so there's definite benefits to it. But I think the the real answer is you just have to trust the process. You just have to understand, like if you build a good team and you have good basics, you'll be okay. Whether you buy those properties and then move away from them, or you have to, you're not in a market that you want to invest in. So you buy elsewhere, you know, there are ways to make it work. It's just, you have to come to terms with it being a little bit uncomfortable, but you'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Definitely key to have a good team in place, one that you can trust, especially if you're not going to be there or going to be there often. Yeah, you said, you know, you 
lost money on a flip that you did. Um, what was maybe like you think your biggest like flop or hardest deal that you did? Um, because a lot of people just talk about the wins, right? But it's not always wins. So I'd like to, the listeners to be able to get a sense of a more well-rounded idea of what real estate investing looks like. Well, I lost 30 grand on that flip. Um, essentially, my contractor overextended his business and he imploded while he was working on my home. And I had someone going by to hand him checks, but they weren't skilled enough to actually be looking at what was going on in the property. Um, they weren't thorough enough. They didn't have as much as a vested interest. And so they'd go by and say, oh yeah, things look good. Awesome. Yep. We gave him the check. Um, and, and inadvertently I gave him way more money than I should have, should have for work that wasn't getting done. And so I, you know, essentially got robbed and yeah. Um, that was, I mean, that's, probably my biggest loss so far. I, the other one that I have, the 40 unit that I didn't take full cycle, the reason is that the seller did not uphold a lot of the contract. And so I've been in a lawsuit now for 19, 20 months trying to get my down payment back from that. Um, so it's, I, I don't necessarily consider that a loss yet, um, but it's definitely an expensive learning experience that we hopefully get all of our money back out of because man, it's been painful. Yeah, I mean, it happens sometimes, but I think what you said was key. Like, as long as you learn from the experience, right, then it's not all lost. And it sucks that you're going through, like, litigation right now. I know a lot of people are scared of that in particular. How's that ideal. experience been? Honestly, it's been all right. Uh, I am the, – the situation with the seller was so stressful that I am – better in litigation than I was pre-litigation. I mean, it's a much better time just dealing with the attorney occasionally and handling this, handling that than it is, you know, just not knowing what's up and, and just being frustrated all the time. Um, it was just not a, it was just not a good relationship between us. And so litigation is very frustrating, but it's a means to an end. And, you know, ultimately I think we're going to win out. So we get all our money back and we go on and do, do it all again or, or find another investment or whatever. And I think that's a much better spot to, to be in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's not a fun process, but you managed to keep chugging through it. I, do you think it has something to do with like the mindset yeah, I mean, I think it's just ultimately knowing that, like, you're in this for the long haul. You know, it, it, I my net worth every month, and it's gone up despite all these things. So, you know that, you know, it's it, it's just part of the process. I think it's just knowing, like, you're in the, you're in it for the long haul, right? You get your money out of it, great. If not, like, what's fifty thousand dollars? It cheaper than a college education in a lot of cases. And I learned a hell of a lot more through that deal. And, you know, the upside that if the deal had gone right would have been way more than that. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you, you, you're going to take some punches when you invest in real estate, but you just need to know that it happens. It's improving your systems. It's learning from it. And it's then taking those things and 
becoming a better investor. It's ultimately that $50,000. I, if I lose the $50,000 on that deal, which I don't foresee happening, but if, if it happens, I learned a ton, I turn around, I take that money, I make a whole lot more in the back end doing other things. And so I think it's just understanding like this is just a piece of the puzzle and I'm in it for the long haul. And I think a lot of people get, you know, if you invest in real estate and you can't afford to take some kind of a loss, like if, if the money you invest is the only money you have and it would be detrimental to you to lose it, then you're not ready to invest in real estate yet. You need to continue the learning process, continue the saving of money, continue that like you should never take the risk of ruin. You should never assume a risk that could end you. And, you know, so when you're in that mindset and you think like, what's the worst case scenario? If you're okay with the worst case scenario, pull the trigger. And in this case, the worst case scenario, I was okay with it. We're dealing with it right now, but I don't think it's going to ultimately be the worst case scenario. But, you know, you just need to know those things going in. You can't, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. So you need to make sure you're honest with yourself and that you're okay with those risks. And if they happen, hey, that's why you were okay with it in the first place. It sucks, but it happens. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, I definitely think um, in that sense, when it comes to stocks, right, I'm like, okay, whatever I'm putting in here, it, I, I'm totally okay with losing all of it, right? But I don't know. Somehow, I feel like when it comes to property, people get emotional. They get tied to it in a different sense than, you yeah. know, stock investing. But like you which, said, as, yeah. I was just say, which is funny because they invest much more emotionally in stocks they might not they might not feel emotionally tied to it but if you follow trading patterns you know that there's emotion behind that crap because they are not logically investing most of the time that is so true what a funny paradigm hey david was there anything else that we didn't cover today that you would like to go over i don't know i think we've kind of run through a lot of stuff i'm open book if you got other questions yeah, I know you have some courses too, right? To help people. Um, do you want to talk about maybe some of those programs if people hear you today and they are interested? Yeah, I, you know, this isn't where I make all my money, but I do have a, it's called from zero to one. Uh, it's basically like a real estate investor 101. It's like 90 bucks and it's, uh, it's super affordable. It's everything you need to know to buy your first property and then get it operational and, and get ready for your next. And I really just built that course because I don't have enough time in the day to answer everybody's intro, intro questions. I try to do a lot of investor calls. I try to do a lot of that, but I realized I wasn't able to give the answers in the amount of depth that people deserve. So I started the course and then it was free and nobody finished it. And a friend of mine was like, dude, you got to charge some money. Otherwise there's no skin in the game. I was like, okay, so we'll try that out. So I bumped it up to like 97 bucks and all of a sudden people finish it. So I was like, oh, well, all right, well then we're going to leave it at this price because People are actually getting the information. So that's better than making it free and nobody gets the information. Um, so I do that and, you know, I do some, some coaching stuff and we have a mastermind group for vets and stuff that, uh, called the war room real estate mastermind that we host, which is awesome. But we are working super unofficial, but uh, first peak uh, next week, I'm sitting down with a couple guys and we're going to work through designing like a multifamily syndication type course, which will also be extremely affordable, affordable. We haven't even talked pricing on it, but, um, definitely cheaper than anything on the market. Cause I, that's not where I make my money. I don't, that's cool. Um, you know, and making a little bit of money through that stuff is cool, but, uh, it's not necessary. Just nice. like to help people. Yeah. 
That's so exciting. Did you guys hear? <laughs> David is coming out with a new multifamily course and you hear, heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not even been designed yet. So cool. We'll be, we'll be on the lookout for that. And if people are interested in any of these things, where can they find you? From military to millionaire.com or just Google military millionaire anywhere. And I should pop up. He's very active on YouTube and Instagram, so definitely check him out. And all of his information will be in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks, David.